0: Thank you, Stuart. Short passage of Scripture. You can keep your Bible open, your phone open, whatever. Um, We're only going to be looking at those three verses today. We are back. uh, Actually, we're continuing the journey of following Jesus. What we're doing on Sunday mornings is um, going chronologically through all four Gospels and seeing what we can learn. And I want to thank the people that have been continuing this message over the last month. Um, Matthew was here, last week we had uh, G.I.D. that gave us a little interlude in that, and uh, uh, we had some other speakers from outside. What we're doing is we're trying to just move through the life and ministry of Jesus the three years that He appeared on earth. In the bulletin, you will find that you can see the scripture for this week, and you'll see that we're only preaching on three verses, there's a lot more here in this passage. Um, I didn't think you wanted to stay here until about 3 o'clock this afternoon, so I'm limiting it to these three verses, but you can read the others, and uh, in the bulletin it also has the scripture for next week. I am enjoying this opportunity to go through and see what Jesus did, how he did it, when he did it. Right now we're about a year and a half into Jesus' ministry. He was ministering for about three years, so we're about the midway point and uh, things start changing a little bit here during this time. What I want to do is I also want to ask you to please get a bulletin and uh, I am trying to uh, help out, besides this is kind of fun, if you take out your bulletin insert, you see one side doesn't have pictures and one side does have pictures. Okay? The side without pictures are the notes for today. Uh, you can use that during the message as we go through here. The slide with pictures is I know that from time to time we have kids, we have teenagers, we have students here of various ages. And so I uh, got a little creative in the office this week and wrote down some things that if you are of the younger set, you can work on them. Actually, some things that you can do um, during the message. Um, so if you want to bug a pen or a pencil or a crayon or something from Somebody you can do that now. Adults, I find these things fun too. So you might want to do them. Um, but there's some activities there, and then there's some regular discussion questions um, for us, and uh, hopefully all of them can help keep us on track. So to get us started today, what I want to do is just introduce the idea of a turnstile. Okay, how many turnstiles do you think are in Hong Kong? Does anybody know? Google doesn't know. I don't have a number for you. There's there's dozens of them just here at one station. Um, So uh, I have no idea how many there are in Hong Kong. But I did find out that the turnstile has been around for perhaps uh, uh, 2,000 years. Uh, Somebody's tracing it back to England, but I can't imagine that they are the only ones that had turnstiles. What they found was when they started herding animals, they would build fences for them, and it got to be very cumbersome for the farmers to either open the gate or climb over the fence. So they would put some kind of turnstile in there so the farmer could quickly go through the fence, but the cattle couldn't follow it. So if you feel like cattle, when you're going through the turnstile, now you know why, okay? Um, but think about a turnstile because what a turnstile indicates is that once you're through it, you've entered something. You know, things are different in the pay area of the MTR. You cannot eat or drink, and whatever else you're not allowed to do once you're inside the pay area versus outside the pay area. So I want you to think about a turnstile a little bit. And uh, we're going to come back to it and come and, and figure out what that has to do with the passage of scripture that Stuart read for us. So first of all, let's look again at the parable. It's a very short parable. Stuart read it. You can probably almost memorize it. It's three verses long, and it gives us two parables, talks about two different men. One's a man who finds a treasure buried in a field, and the other one is a businessman who finds a pearl. Both of them recognize the value of the treasure that they have found. And they act accordingly. So what I'd like to do is just simply give us three questions. Um, those three questions are on your handout. They're also up on the screen now. I want you to talk with somebody beside you, find somebody to talk with, help get the answers for these things. If you have children with you, engage them in the discussion. But uh, what I'd like you to do is is answer these questions. We're going to get the, you can answer them. What What does the hidden treasure or the pearl represent? So go ahead and talk. You can see the second question. You can see the third question. We're going to need some answers here. Represent the, the of what does the man and the merchant represent? I'm hearing Jesus. I'm hearing us. By the way, I've been a Sunday school teacher long enough with children and teenagers. I know, I'm going to tell you this right now. There are four words that you can say to answer a Sunday school teacher's question and be right most of the time. One is yes, the other is no. The next one is the Bible, and the next one is Jesus. Okay, so if you say those four, you'd be right most of the time. But, okay, so I'm hearing Jesus, and I'm hearing us. Let's go with. Let's go with us. Someone that's following Jesus or following God. Okay. So what is the significance of what they find is valuable? Why does it matter? I mean, they could have just stumbled over a rock in the sand. There was a man walking through the field, he stumbled over a rock, and he went and dug it up. He went and found a pearl, and it had so many imperfections with it, and he just threw it back into the sea. But the stuff that they find here, the treasure and the pearl are valuable, what does that matter? Why is that important? Is an answer from this slide? Is there an answer from this side. Then <coughs> you go to watch that fan-having? I think it's your hand on the What does it matter that these treasures are valuable? Anything else? These guys sold everything. And by that, I think they went beyond their daily limit at the ATM. They cleaned out their bank account. They sold their house. They sold their car. I don't think they sold their wife. <laughs> but they sold everything. Because these were so valuable. And so where does that leave us? It's a very simple parable, and it's actually the same story whole twice. What does it mean? Well, I think that the response that Jesus is teaching, there's, two, there, there's choices that we need to make from this. And the first choice that we need to make is that the kingdom of heaven is valuable. Yes or No. Now, we're here in church, and we kind of think that the automatic answer is yes. We're going to come back to that. But the more I thought about it as I worked on this message is why would someone say no? Why would someone say no? The kingdom of heaven is not God. Right. And I thought of a few things. there are some people who don't value God. God could be something from the past, a superstition, this myth, this thing that doesn't relate to now. And people legitimately feel that way. And the answer that I would, the response that I would give to that is investigate the kingdom of heaven find out who this God is. Find out what's going on, because the story that we're getting from Jesus, and Jesus is pretty much universally revered, at least as a great teacher. Why would he teach us something like this if it wasn't true? So we can look at that, and that's a whole other, many, many more messages, but then we know who God is, would help understand why this gift is valuable. Another thing is, I may not know what's of value. And I'll tell you, I went through the mall down by where the cruise ships are at TST. There's a whole section in there where they sell watches. Have you ever walked through there? Have you seen some of the price tags on that? I wouldn't want to have my entire saving, my entire life on my wrist. That's what some of them are. Another thing that I've thought of here is I may not understand the value of the particular object. I've walked through some of the street markets, and there's places where you can buy a whole skid container box of electronics. Now, I have trouble figuring on the price because I have a language barrier. But I'd also have trouble saying, I sure don't understand what's in there. There may be something of great value. It may be worth selling everything, but I don't know. Now, I had one of those experiences because I'm familiar with, in in America, they have auctions where they sell things like that. And I would go to this auction near my house, so those who've been around me enough... Um, know that in America I had tools and my hobby was doing woodworking and I could build furniture. And I was at this auction where they would sell building materials and lumber and things and I'm just walking past. I think it was a rainy day. There weren't many people there. At the end of this road, there was a crowd of people around one corner and I had just come. I got my auction, my number, so that I could bid and there was this board, uh, two boards that were about three meters long just rough cut boards. They didn't look very valuable. And I heard the auctioneer, it was just a couple dollars. So I looked over to see what it was. And I saw the boards. And I realized that they were boards about that wide, about three meters long, and about that thick. I don't know what that is in metric, but it's just over two inches thick and that they were dry, oak. The favorite was that I would build furniture in. And I immediately looked down at the boards. They were not plain screws. They were rough cut. I said, that's a desktop. Those boards could be my desktop. And I could buy them very inexpensively. So I quickly jumped in and I and I bid. I I I didn't pay much. I don't I don't know what they are. I could barely pick them up. They were so heavy. And they're not a desktop. You see, I saw the value because I understood what was there. And so if you don't understand the value of the kingdom of heaven, find somebody. I wouldn't understand the value of a box of electronics, or to be honest with you, a watch, I, I don't like wearing them. I would find somebody to teach you about them if there was a fantastic opportunity. And perhaps in that whole box of merchandise, there's one item that is so valuable that I would sell everything, purchase it. And so I trust that you will understand that Jesus is saying the kingdom of heaven is valuable. And then you would tick the yes box because you understood and you see what it is. You'll learn more. Yes, you'll learn more. But the kingdom of heaven has value. And so what happens is when we tick the yes box, then we realize that it's worth adjusting our life the treasure that we found, we adjust our life. The treasure that we found. The uh, the man who sold all did it with joy. He did it with joy, not under duress. He did it because he saw the value and saw to Jesus. stop here. I'm not going to have a few other things to talk about with this passage, but do you see the value? Is it worth selling all to purchase it? Is it worth adjusting your life around the truth that the kingdom of heaven is valuable? So let's talk just a little bit more about the kingdom of heaven. We've got a few things going on here. Why this whole emphasis on a king and a kingdom and and all that kind of stuff. So I just want to give you a little background on that that comes from Matthew's Gospel and also from the Old Testament. One of the things that's interesting in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew is the one who's writing mostly to a Jewish audience. And so he's picking up on what interests the Jewish people. And the word king and kingdom are found many, many times in the book of Matthew. And so he builds on this idea that there's a king or a kingdom that's coming. He calls God's universe, what God, the, 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 the teachings of God, he calls them a kingdom. Jesus is coming as a king. Let me just give you a few of the places where we find this going on here in, uh, in the book of Matthew. When the Magi were coming to look for Jesus, they told Herod that they were looking for the kingdom of Jews, which set Herod into a whole uh, tizzy about what to do with that. John the Baptist preached that the kingdom of heaven is near. through Galilee, preaching the good news of the kingdom of heaven. The Beatitudes, beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, teach that these are of the kingdom of heaven. When we follow them, they're of the kingdom of heaven. When Jesus prayed, he prayed, Thy kingdom come. When Jesus taught his followers, he told them, Seek first the kingdom Of God, he taught that there is an evil kingdom of Satan, and in the passage uh, that we talked about last week, the kingdom was intermingled with the weeds, and the kingdom can influence the world. So Matthew is using this term, "kingdom of heaven." to catch the Jewish reader and realize that this is what they have been looking for. Hundreds and hundreds of years, you've been looking for the kingdom. And Jesus is saying at this point, the kingdom that you've been looking for is valuable. Throughout the Old Testament, we had the image of a kingdom. The Jewish people wanted a kingdom. The first three kings were Saul, David, David, and Solomon. The kingdom went on, it was divided, and they lost the kingdom due to disobedience to God. They were taken off as prisoners in a foreign kingdom. And as they started realizing that a new king was predicted, the Messiah, they realized that this Messiah would be their king. The Roman Empire invaded Palestine in 64 B.C., 67 years before Jesus came. And the Jewish people were longing for this king to come and throw off the oppressor of the Roman government. And so when they were looking for a king and a kingdom, they were looking for the wrong king. They were looking for a king that would bring governmental peace, not internal peace. And I think a lot of what's going on is they missed the king because they were looking for the wrong king. And that leads me to ask the question, what kind of king or kingdom are we expecting? This kingdom's not going to be valuable if we don't recognize what kind of king is coming. What kind of king are you expecting? What kind of king? I used to see a sign that said, "God is my co-pilot." It's kind of the second seat, isn't it? God's my first officer. Yeah, if the captain's gone, I'll let him take over. Jesus needs the pilot seat. Jesus needs the one that sets. Needs the one that sets. It. thinking that maybe the thing you're looking for is to simply add Jesus to the whole rest of the priorities. You know, I have this, this, this and Jesus and this, this, this. And, you know, maybe on Sunday we'll bump them up first but other than that we'll kind of keep them the same place on the shelf. You know, that's really where Christianity got in trouble with the Roman government back in the first century. You see, it was okay if the Christians wanted to be like so many of the other religions, where they worshipped Jesus and the emperor. And when in doubt, worship the emperor, put Jesus in second. The Roman government wasn't really against Christians, other than the fact that they put Jesus first. It almost sounds like some, some other countries that are going on, and that's what Christians get in trouble. Because the Christians won't put Jesus second. Poor. and so I wonder if the king is really just a backup plan you know when I own property I don't own any property anymore when I own property I have fire insurance on that property did I ever intend to use that fire insurance well, I sure hope not I didn't want my house to burn down well, I have that fire insurance policy. Well, I could pull out. Gotta be sure you put it in a safe place so it doesn't burn too. You can pull that policy out and go to your agent and say, "I want some cash to replace the property." And is Jesus kind of a fire insurance policy, just in case something doesn't happen? Yeah, I got him in my back pocket, here for if, if there's tests coming up, I'm certainly gonna pray. If somebody gets sick. I'm going to pray when I get to the end of my life. something a whole lot more exciting than that turnstile. But I think sometimes, as Christians, who say, I've accepted Jesus as my Savior, I am in! It's exciting! I'm through the turnstile! Oh, man, I'm going to wait here Jesus is going to come back this will be exciting for the next 60 years here at this turnstile! not the destination. It's the beginning. going have been around for, for a few months here. Remember we talked about four-chair discipleship? Yes. This is sort of four-chair discipleship. Chair one is where we don't believe in Jesus. Chair two, we're through the turnstile, and we're starting to follow Jesus. Chair three, we're maturing and growing in Christ. And chair four, we're a leader, we're using the gifts and abilities God has given us. And so, I think Jesus is saying that here. That's why we're trying to orient the church in that way. In the back of your bulletin are seven points that are core values of AIC. These are sort of like the turnstile. These are places to grow from. Once you enter the turnstile and you're glorifying God, you can grow so much in that area. And you can go through each of them. Prayerful dependence, biblical teaching, reaching the lost, authentic community, sacrificial living, faith-filled living. These are things that the church, longer than what I've been here, have been saying are our core values And so to take them into bite-sized chunks, you can take any one of those and work and grow grow in that area. It's so exciting what God can do. You know, if the kingdom of heaven is of tremendous value to you, you will share the kingdom of heaven with those over whom you have influence. Could be your children, could be Coworkers, it could be friends, you'll let them know about this kingdom that they have. Now, some of you know that it's good that everything that I think about doesn't come out. But for a while I worked in a in a facility where we took care of emotionally um, disturbed children, and uh, it was a Christian organization, it became rather humorous to me some of the things that we would do. It used to just be for teenagers, and then they added down to age five and six. It broke my heart to see some of these kids going through that kind of facility and and have to to get the stability in their life because of what was going on. But I remember when I was getting oriented to work with the younger children, we had uh, two times a day that they had to brush their teeth. Had to brush their teeth in the morning. They had to brush their teeth before they go, went to bed. I am all for brushing teeth, okay? I think that we should, you should have your teeth brushed. Um, I've got the dental people here looking at me kind of. <laughs> I am all for brushing teeth. It should be something that you teach your children, something that they, they get beyond. But I thought it humorous or maybe sad That any Christian teaching for the children became optional. Became optional. The child could decide if they want to go or not go. And I thought, my goodness, if you look at the eternal perspective, a kingdom mentality, these kids can get into heaven with no teeth. So what are our priorities? Where are we when we see the people that we work with, the children that grow up in our home? Do we convey to them the value and importance of the treasure of the kingdom of heaven? So this idea if that's truly valuable, it will affect me. It will affect the people that I have influence over. And it affects us as a church when we make our decisions. We should be making decisions that value, that say, yes, this kingdom is valuable. It's something worth selling everything for. And so we ultimately have the question, are we going to be a kingdom Christian or a turnstile Christian? Are we going to go beyond the turnstile? That was almost the title for my message, Beyond the Turnstile. We want to go beyond the turnstile. I went looking to see, you know, when you find a truth in the Bible, you want to be sure that it's, it's really core to the Bible. Is this something that is communicated elsewhere? Is it something that's been true throughout history in Christianity? Are there other people that have been impacted by this same truth? And so I first started looking in the Bible. And I found Paul. What does Paul have to say? Would you say that Paul is a turnstile Christian or a kingdom Christian? He says, what's more, I consider everything a loss. Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them as garbage, rubbish, that I may gain Christ. That's a kingdom heart. He's going all out for Jesus. And so you get another main New Testament figure. You have Peter. There's the time when he answered Jesus and he said, uh, Jesus wondered if he was going to leave too like some other people did. He says, we've left everything to follow you. I have no place else to go. A kingdom mindset. We can go to the Old Testament. Joshua gives the famous saying when they're ready to go into the promised land. He's asking the people, If it's worth serving God. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my household, the people that I have influence over, we will serve the Lord. Kingdom mindset. This treasure is valuable. He's giving all to move on in the kingdom. So I started looking elsewhere, trying to find some other people, you know, real people. Those those others are real people, but someone in our time, Albert Simpson has been dead for over 100 years, but Albert Simpson says, when you become satisfied with God, however, everything else loses its charm that he can give that to you without harm. You may be praying for lots of things. or God to do something in your life. God may know that giving that to you will cause you to move further from the kingdom. It's when you capture everything and you're satisfied with God that your whole heart knows who God is and the value of the kingdom. Just two more. I had to eliminate some because I wasn't going to go slide after slide on this. But Jim Elliott, some of you may know Jim Elliott. He was a missionary in the 1950s, uh, went down to South America, tried to make contact with a tribe of people who were known for their cannibalism. At one point, uh, they decided that they had built a strong enough relationship with the Indians there, and they landed on the beach and tried to make a relationship And they were killed, Jim and several of his fellow missionaries. Before he died, he was speaking someplace, and they said, Aren't you a fool to give your life as a young man to go into the jungles to these people who have no concern for the gospel or for you? And Jim Elliott's statement, his famous statement, is he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He knew the kingdom of heaven was valuable. What he was giving up was nothing in comparison to what he would gain, what he did gain. Thank God. And this lady, I believe she's still alive from what I could tell. I never heard of her before. She's in Uganda. Left a Western lifestyle. Moved to Uganda where Things aren't quite so comfortable. And her statement is, I am more terrified of living a comfortable life in a self-serving society and failing to follow Jesus than I am of any illness or tragedy. These are people who saw the value of the treasure of the kingdom of heaven. So, what do we do with this? Just wind up here. Just a few things. I encourage each of us to pray. Do we understand the value of the kingdom? Pray and ask God to bring that to our hearts. Realize the value of the kingdom. And I can understand why there are serious questions and doubts about God and who He is. About Jesus and what He teaches. But there are men and women, both in Bible times and currently, who give their lives because of the treasure that they found. And the testimony that they give says that they found something valuable. And so just because I don't understand the contents of the box of electronics doesn't mean that there isn't value there. It just means that I don't understand it. And so I'd encourage you to look and see how valuable the kingdom is. Find somebody that you can talk to. Do some research. Do some reading. Get some teaching. And realize the value of the kingdom i put a number of questions, both for children and adults, and I'd encourage you for the third point, work through some of those questions. I'm excited to see community groups uh, going through and working on these. I've, I've attended quite a few community groups over the last few weeks. And to see what you're doing as a group and studying these kinds of things and working together, you can help one another. You can see the value of what God has done in someone else's life. And so I'd encourage you to... to just explore it further by, uh, by looking at those questions. Let's pray. Dear God, this treasure box, we need to dig into it. We need to see what there is in your kingdom. We need to see the value of it so that as we make choices in life, We can adjust our choices to fit the reality of your truth instead of trying to adjust your truth to our life. Lord, I pray that as individuals, I pray that as a church, I pray that as community groups, we can encourage one another on. Help us to realize the value of what we have. We give you the praise. We give you the thanks. In Jesus' name.